Amen. Well, if you will, take your Bible and turn with me, please, to 2 Peter tonight. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. And again, you may want to keep your scriptures handy. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 6. Tonight we are talking about in knowledge, self-control, perseverance, and godliness, though tonight um, I think we're going to have to get to godliness uh, next week. So let's uh, pray together, and we'll read verse 6 together. Let's pray. O Lord, our God and our Father, now we meditate on a single verse. We thank you, Lord, that all Scripture is God-breathed. It is profitable for all manner of things for godliness. And now, Lord, we pray that the Spirit would bless this solitary verse to the welfare of your church, to the strengthening of our zeal, our love, our commitment and faith to Jesus Christ. May we look to him who has first loved us, that we might in turn love him with our lives. We pray that grace, Lord, would be abounding tonight, even to the chiefest of sinners. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 6. And in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness. Amen. <clears throat> now Peter is listing qualities of the Christian life, characteristics that Christians ought to strive for in increasing degrees in our lives. Last week, we were considering the need to improve upon our diligence and our diligence virtue, and in our virtue, knowledge, and we ended uh, with knowledge. The church needs knowledge. Uh, we need discernment. There's a lot of ignorance out there. Uh, we, by nature, are ignorant. We're born unto vanity as sinners, uh, we are alienated, alienated from the truth, but by God's grace, when the Holy Spirit brings a person to Jesus Christ, their mind is renewed. We are like boys and girls, the demon-possessed man who was uh, naked and chained in a cemetery, but he kept breaking his chains and running around, and that Jesus cast all the legion of demons out of that man, and the Bible says that that formerly demon-possessed man was put in his right mind. That is, Jesus healed uh, that demon-possessed mind. God, by his grace, uh, gives us understanding, but it's important that as Christians, even though God has illuminated your mind and given you the mind of Christ, we are to improve upon the knowledge of the Lord as we grow in grace. The Christian life is about knowing God and knowing and loving him and enjoying him forever, even as our catechism teaches. To know God, we have to study the Lord. And in order to study the Lord, we have to read his book. We need to know his stories. We need to know his precepts. And you can study the scriptures your whole life. And even at the end of 80 years, you're still discovering new things in the Bible. God is always giving more grace as we pursue him in the scriptures. Indeed, uh, we will always be growing in our knowledge of God even in eternity. The finite cannot comprehend 
the infinite. And so we as believers will always be understanding more uh, about the Lord and about his grace towards us. You, therefore, need to keep reading the Bible. Don't feel like you've come to um, your attainment of all that you will ever know. There is always more uh, in the scriptures that we didn't know or we didn't realize. And even, yes, some things that we had forgotten. Sometimes I come across things that I've highlighted in the past, and I'm like, I can't remember that. How is it I highlighted this even? It shows that we do have that tendency to forget and that we are to remember. What are we to know about God? Well, there's so much to know. If you were to look just even at the outline of the Westminster Confession of Faith, they give you all these different things that you are to know, and they head them in various chapters. <clears throat> the doctrine of Scripture. You are to know that the Bible is the Word of God. You need to know what inerrancy is, the infallibility of the Bible. You need to know what inspiration is. You need to know what are the books of the Bible. What are not the books of the Bible? Why are some things in the Bible and other things not in the Bible? Uh, you need to know the Trinity. We've, as in our high school, Sunday school class, have been studying that there is one true and living God in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are same in substance, equal in power and glory. They're not three gods, but they are one true and eternal God. You need to know the decrees of God, the eternal decrees. Ephesians chapter 1, that uh, we were chosen in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the earth. That God uh, decrees everything that comes to pass. You need to know about the creation uh, that God has made all things. He made it good. Where did evil come from? You know, what, how do we understand evil, um, which is known as theologically theodicy, the, the, how, the, the, the study of, of evil, the problem of evil. How can we have an infinite God, an omnipotent God who is altogether holy and good and yet have evil in the world? <coughs> um, we need to know about the providence of God. God decrees all things and he governs all things uh, by his creation, and by his providence. He governs the day-to-day -day activities down to the very details of life. The Bible speaks about the nature of our fallen condition. What happened when Adam and Eve sinned? Was it just they that were affected? Or was all of mankind plunged into sin and ruin and misery with the fall of Adam and Eve? And boys and girls, the answer is the latter, that all of us have been deeply affected by that first Solitary sin in the garden. Uh, the Westminster divines say you need to know about the covenant of works. What is the covenant of works? It's that covenant. So God raises up another Adam. And that, of course, is Jesus Christ. And Jesus undertakes the covenant of works for us. And therefore, we can enter into what is known as the covenant of grace. The covenant of grace. Now, the covenant of grace doesn't begin with the New Testament. The covenant of grace begins in Genesis chapter 3, in verse 15. That, that's where God promised us grace through faith in Jesus. Uh, you could study about Christ. There's so much to know about the man, the person of Christ. He is one person with two distinct natures. We need to know about man's will. Uh, did the fall partially affect the will of man? Or is the man's will 
totally affected and depraved by the fall. Uh, do we have a little bit of good remnant left over from the fall? Whereby out of that goodness we can choose to receive Christ or not? Or are we utterly dependent upon God's grace entirely to come to know Jesus Christ because the will is brought to utter ruin? And there again, it's the latter. You need to know about effectual calling. What is effectual calling? Effectual calling is the work of God's Spirit, whereby He renews us in our inner man. Uh, you need to know about what's called the golden chain of salvation. You can read about it in Romans chapter 8, about uh, effectual calling, justification, adoption, sanctification, glorification. What's the nature of saving faith? What's the difference between saving faith in Jesus Christ and spurious faith, temporary faith? If you're truly born again, can you fall away? Um, what is repentance? What are, what are good works? What's the role of good works in salvation? Do good works contribute to our justification or do they not? Uh, are good works rather the jewel that testifies to our justification? Perseverance and assurance of salvation, the law of God. Can you boys and girls yet, do you know the Ten Commandments in order? If I do a pastoral visit this year, and I come and I say, tell me the Ten Commandments in order, and I'm going to do it. <laughs> Are you going to be able to say, thou shalt have no other gods before me? Thou shalt not make any graven image? Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, etc.? We're going to need to know that. Uh, th these are things you need to be growing in your knowledge. What about worship, the regular principle, the Sabbath? What's the nature of a vow? Is it lawful to take a vow, an oath? Or are our certain sects right that you should never, ever take an oath? Well, I'll give you a hint. If you read the book of Revelation, there's an angel who raises his right hand and takes an oath. So that ought to tell you what's acceptable to God. What about the, the relationship of the church to the civil magistrate? What is the church? Is the church necessary? Some, there are a lot of people who don't think the church is necessary. They think that the, it, that the church is um, something that you can give or take as long as you're a spiritual person. And there's some who even say that, yeah, you would have to believe in Jesus, but you don't necessarily have to join his church. What about baptism and the Lord's Supper? Uh, church discipline? What's the government of the church? Even the death and resurrection, the final judgment. So there are all kinds of things that we need to know and we need to grow in. And that's what Peter is saying here. In your knowledge, you need to be growing. He says, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, then he adds the next clause there, the next characteristic, the next fruit is self-control, self-control. So let's talk a little bit about self-control. What is self-control? Now, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines self-control as, quote, restraint exercised over one's own impulses, emotions, or desires. Restraint exercised over one's own impulses, 
emotions or desires. I think if I could add to that, I would add the word self hyphen restraint. That is, it is the grace of self-restraint exercised over one's own impulses, emotions, and desires. That is, self-control is the ability by the grace of God in the Holy Spirit to keep one's own self within the bounds of Christian, Christian decorum and conduct and speech. The Holy Spirit gives the believer the grace to live and think and speak the way that a believer should live and think and speak. And when we exercise that government, we are exercising uh, the fruit of self-control. Paul tells us, in addition to Peter, in Galatians 5, and if you want to look there in your New Testament, Galatians chapter 5, look at verses 16 and following. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 The Apostle Paul, talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, deals with this subject of self-control. Galatians 5.16, Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. We are to be living uh, from the Spirit and His help and strength. He goes on, verse 17, for the flesh, that is the sin nature within us, the sin and its corruption that still is within us, it sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. So your reality as a Christian is one oftentimes of internal conflict. Don't be discouraged by the fact that you may see a lot of ugliness in yourself. In fact, One of the ironies of the Christian life is that the more holy you become, the more ugly you see yourself inherently. As you grow in grace, you become more sensitive to evil and sin and wickedness, particularly within yourself. And so there is this sense uh, of, of conflict, not that I want you to be discouraged about this, but it causes you all the more to look to Jesus. But this conflict is within us. The spirit against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit. Paul says, for these are in opposition to one another. So you have this internal conflict. The spirit is within you, giving you grace, helping you to live for God, live for Jesus Christ. But you still have the remaining corruption within you that still likes to raise its ugly head all the time. And we're always having to do battle. Now, how do we get the upper hand? Well, by working out the the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ within our lives. He says, so that you you may not do the things that you please, but if you are led by the Spirit, he says, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry. Talked about that this morning, didn't we? Sorcery, enmities, strife, Jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions. These, this, is, this is living out of the sin nature within us. Envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Of which I forewarn you and just have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then he goes on. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, 
joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That means that when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the dominion of sin is broken in your life. He says in verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. So we see that self-control here is listed after kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Self-control is listed as one of the fruits of the Spirit. Self-control comes from a life that is Spirit-filled. So if we're not exercising self-control, then we need to go back to the Lord. We need to get back into the means of grace. We need to double down and pray and seek the Lord, seek godly company, put off the things that are leading us away from Jesus Christ, and we need to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to commune with God as we go about our live. We're, we're to live, Romans 12, as living sacrifices. In Acts chapter 6, the early church was told to select seven men who were filled with the Spirit to serve as deacons. Now, how do you become filled with the Spirit? If the filling of the Spirit is what brings forth the fruit of the Spirit, including self-control, how do you become filled with the Spirit? Well, look at John chapter 15 with me. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. <laughs> how do you become filled with the Spirit? Do you need to go to a meeting where there's a lot of enthusiasm? Well, no. What do you need to do? Jesus tells us, John 15, verse 1, he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. What is it that brings about the cleansing? It's the word of God. And then Jesus then exhorts his disciples. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. So boys and girls, to put it simply, imagine that I went out in your backyard with you and I took some uh, pruning clippers and, and we went around and we pruned some bushes, and maybe some trees with thin branches. And we left them on the ground. Well, pretty soon, uh, if there were leaves on those branches, or if there was any fruit on those branches, it'll dry up. And you won't have any more. It'll all be gone. But the, those branches that are still in the tree will what? They will still have leaves, and they will still bear fruit and flowers because they're abiding in the tree. So what Jesus is saying is you and I have to abide. If we're to exercise self-control, it means you have to stay abiding in Jesus. You have to be near to Jesus Christ. You have to be united to Jesus Christ by faith. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, that is, if anybody gets away from Jesus, if anybody leaves Jesus, 
If anybody rejects Jesus Christ, walks away from Jesus, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. And you think of Judas. Judas did not abide in Jesus. Judas rejected Jesus. Judas uh, betrayed Jesus. And because of that, he was cast off. Verse 7, Jesus says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now notice, what does it mean for you to abide in Jesus and Jesus to abide in you? Notice that Jesus qualifies what that means. He says, my words abide in you. That means the scripture must be within us. We need to be constantly feeding our soul with the scriptures and with godly teaching and preaching. We need the word of God to be within us. We need the word of God to help us in, in our thinking. We need to meditate upon it. He says, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples, just as the Father loved me. I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, here again, you will abide in my love. So here we see that obedience is not something that is just legalistic. Notice here that obeying God's commandments is not something that you had to do in the Old Testament. Jesus is saying here that the moral will of God is still relevant for the Christian who believes in Christ. Now, it's not the ground of your justification. Christ is the ground of your justification. You put your faith in him, but as you believe in him, you walk in his ways. Notice that Jesus says, just as I have kept my father's commandments, just as I, Jesus, have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love, you're to do the same. If Jesus, in his human nature, had to obey God by doing the things that God commanded. You know, Jesus is 12 years old, and yet the Bible says he was in subjection to his parents. He honored his father and his mother. And if he, the son of God, did this, how much more we as sinners need to abide in the word of God and have God's commandments abide in us, that we would walk in those commandments. Notice that Jesus says in verse 11, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. God gives us these commandments for the purpose of what? For the purpose of joy, happiness, life. Do you need joy tonight? Do you need some happiness in your life? Are you wanting happiness? Are you pursuing things in the world to get happiness? Are you saying to yourself, I can't be happy unless I get something from the world? Jesus says, abide in me and my word in you. Keep my commandments. My joy will be in you. Psalm chapter 2, Psalm 2 verse 2 says, But our delight is in the law of the Lord. We are to delight in God and delight in the Bible. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Jesus spoke in John 17 verse 17 about the importance and the relationship of the word to the filling of the Holy Spirit that gives us self-control. He said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. 
We are sanctified through the scriptures, the means of God's word. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 46 and 47, Moses said to the people of God, Moses here says this, Take to heart all the words with which I am warning you today. Take to heart all the Bible, all the law, all the words which I am warning you today, you which you shall command your sons to observe carefully, even all the words of this law. And then listen to what he says. For this law, it is not an idle word for you. Indeed, it is your life. Moses, do you hear that? He says that the scriptures are your life. He says, and by this word, you will prolong your days in the land which you are about to cross the Jordan to possess. The Bereans in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, are commended by the Holy Spirit because they did what? They searched the scriptures, receiving the word, we're told, with great eagerness. They wanted preaching. They were hungry for the Bible. They wanted God to speak to them. They wanted Christ to abide in them. They wanted to abide in Christ. They wanted to know the joy of the Lord. They wanted to be filled with the Holy Spirit and that they might produce the fruit of self-control in their life. And they searched the scriptures and they ate the scriptures and they loved the scriptures, we are told, with great eagerness. Not only the scriptures, but also we know of prayer. And I would add even fasting and prayer. One of the best ways, I think, to recalibrate your walk, if you are not abiding in the Spirit, you're walking in the flesh, one of the things you might want to try and do is give yourself to fasting and just break whatever these bad habits may be that keep you from abiding in Christ. And, and just put everything aside and make this your first business. I'm not even going to give myself to food and drink. But I'm going to seek the Lord with fasting and prayer until God comes and helps me. What is fasting? Fasting is where we abstain from ordinary blessings that God gives us to enjoy for the purpose of humbling ourselves before God that we might feel the weakness of our own self before God and that God in his grace would come and meet with us. The Bible says that the Lord will come down and he will lift up those who are bowed low. God will come, uh, those who humble themselves, he will draw near to. In Jeremiah chapter 5 and verse 8, the people of God in Jeremiah's day were not abiding in the Lord and they were on the verge of judgment in captivity to Babylon. Indeed, in 5.8, Jeremiah says to them, they were well-fed, lusty horses, each one neighing after his neighbor's wife. Notice that there was a connection there. They were prosperous. They were well-fed. But what were they using all that blessing for? For the purpose of adultery. They were not abiding in the Lord. What did they need to do? They needed to cut themselves off from the table, cut themselves off from the blessings that God had provided for them and give themselves to fasting and prayer. Sometimes we have to fast in order to starve the lusts of the flesh. Sometimes we have to uh, abstain from 
these things in order to receive greater grace by the Spirit in prayer. So let me ask you tonight, how is your self-control? You're looking at things you shouldn't on the internet? Are you indulging in laziness? Not using your time wisely? You having outbursts of anger at the kids? Are you lusting after women in television and movies? Neighing after other men's wives? Are you carrying out all your responsibilities the way God told you? Are you hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Are you like a Berean eagerly seeking the word of God? Well, if you're giving yourselves to sin, or if you're not giving yourself to the things of God with as much earnestness as you would prefer, then maybe you need to consider doubling down on the means of grace until God brings you to a new place where he fills you with power and strength in the Holy Spirit. But I need to move on to perseverance. <laughs> like I said, I didn't think we were going to get to godliness tonight. Verse 6, still verse 6. Notice here that if anyone... Oh, sorry. Verse 6, 2 Peter 1. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, then he goes to perseverance. Perseverance. So that we see here, in addition to self-control, comes the fruit of perseverance. Every true Christian will persevere. Yet, at the same time, even though every Christian will persevere, perseverance is also still a command of Scripture. It is a grace that God gives to the believer, but it is also something which we ourselves must seek. It requires, on our part, effort, self-denial taking up our cross, following after Jesus. Many times the Bible will tell you to, uh, pastorally, to overcome. Look with me at the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3. One of the things that you notice as Jesus deals with the seven churches in Revelation 2 and in chapter 3 is that he enjoins each of these congregations to perseverance. Now, what is Perseverance. Perseverance is to, quote, persist in spite of counter-influences, opposition, and discouragement. Perseverance means to persist in spite of counter-influences, opposition, and discouragement. Now notice here how Jesus, in speaking to the seven churches, will enjoin them to perseverance. For example, in chapter 2, verse 7, to the church at Ephesus, he says this, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And then he says, quote, To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. What's he pastorally telling them to do? To persevere. That's what it means, boys and girls, to overcome. To overcome means that you have won over the opposition, to overcome. Notice in verse 10, when he writes to Smyrna, chapter 2, verse 10, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison, so that you will be tested. You will have tribulation, suffering church, for ten days. Then he says, Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. What's he urging there? Perseverance. Perseverance. All this opposition, 
persecution coming upon them. Some of the church is going to be arrested and thrown into jail for their love for Jesus Christ. And he's telling them all, I want you to be faithful until death. Look at verse 17. He tells them to persevere at Pergamum. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, that is to him who perseveres, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. Do you want a white stone with your name on it for you? Well, then you've got to persevere. You've got to overcome. You've got to keep going. Look at verse 25. Chapter 2, verse 25. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. He who overcomes, he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. Wow, there's a great promise. You want authority over the nations in the new heavens and the new earth? You want to be mayor of LaGrange <laughs> in the new heavens and new earth? You better overcome. Better persevere. Uh, you, can't, you can't overcome unless you persevere. Look at, look at uh, chapter 3, verse 5. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments. Notice here that only those who persevere are going to be justified. Now, I'm not saying your justification is based on your perseverance. But it is saying here, unless you persevere, you are not justified. He who overcomes will be clothed in white garments. What's a white garment? It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed to the believer. He says, and I will not erase his name from the book of life. And I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. So if you want Jesus to acknowledge you before the father, if you want your name to be in the book of life, then you are going to have to persevere. No perseverance, no faith in Christ. No overcoming, then no name written. No acknowledgement by Jesus in the end. Notice in verse 11, chapter 3, I am coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Again, hold fast. Then finally, verse 21, he who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Jesus is making it clear. He had to persevere. You have to persevere. He was faithful unto death on the cross when he said, it is finished, you're going to have to be faithful unto death and say, it is finished. You are going to have to persevere even as Jesus in his human nature had to persevere. Jesus has said that no man can follow after him unless what we take up our cross and follow him in self-denial and death. So it means that we have to um, persist despite all uh, contrary influences here. You also see it in Hebrews chapter 6. In Hebrews chapter 6, we see pastorally, we are told the need to persevere. Now, why does God warn us about perseverance if perseverance is a given for the Christian? Why does God pastorally tell you in the Bible to persevere if persevere is an absolute certainty for a believer in Jesus Christ? 
I'm not sure, except that God has told you to persevere. <laughs> and therefore, you better do it. Because it shows that you are a believer. Notice here, chapter 6, verse 4. For in case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit. Now, who are these that have tasted the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit? I think he is speaking to people who for a season experienced the power of the Spirit of God in the preaching of the Word of God and knew something of the powers of the age to come. They knew that God had drawn near to them. But notice in verse 6, but these then have fallen away. Now, is the Bible therefore saying that true believers can fall away? No. But it is saying, just like the parable of the seed that we saw a few weeks ago, that there are some seed that spring up quickly and do wither away. They look like Christians. They, they seemingly are Christians, but then what? They don't persevere. And so here, he is warning us here. Uh, he says, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucified to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. But in verse 9, he says what? Beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you. That accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. Even though we're giving you these hard warnings, we're convinced that by God's grace, you can persevere. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown towards his name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. But he says what? We desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, that you will not be sluggish, that what? You will persevere, you overcome. Be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And then you have that great chapter in Hebrews 11 that show us people who persevered by faith. And then you get to Hebrews chapter 12, and what do we see in the first couple of verses here? Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run the race with endurance, the race that is set before us. So do you hear, young people, what the author of Hebrews is telling you? He is saying you have to lay aside everything that gets in the way of your perseverance. Anything that encumbers your running, anything in your life, that hinders you from pursuing Jesus Christ is to be set aside. Lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that entangles us so that we can what? So that we can run. We can, we can run with endurance so that we can persevere. Now, some of you have been long distance runners and you know what it is to persevere. You know how hard, especially, you know, the first mile. Can be sometimes it's it's not the end that's the hardest. Sometimes it's the it's the first mile that can be the hardest for the runner. That's when you're like, oh, I I don't really feel like doing this this morning. But what does the author of Hebrews say? He says, "Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne. Consider Jesus, who has endured such hostility." by sinners against himself, 
so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You want to persevere? Focus on Jesus Christ. Are you flagging in your running for the Lord tonight? Have you quit running? Are you walking now? Are you thinking about turning back and not going to the finish line? Have you become sluggish? Are you thinking about quitting the Christian faith? Well, the Bible says you need to go to the Lord Jesus Christ and consider him who finished to the very end on the cross. What can help you? Read Christian history. I don't think anything outside the scriptures themselves helps me in perseverance, like reading about people who lived in different times and different settings and to see how they endured. It puts iron in your blood and fire in your bones. Read about the covenanters and their sufferings. Read about the early Christians and the persecution they endured. Read Fox's Book of Martyrs. Read about the pilgrims and the Puritans. Read about the magisterial reformers of Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and Knox. Read about the pre-Reformation lights God raised up. Wycliffe and Huss, the Waldensians, Boniface in Germany and others. There are a lot of examples. We have a great cloud of witnesses before us. And so we need to run as they ran with perseverance. Let's bring it to a close.